0: So, this morning's Bible reading for the sermon is Romans chapter 1, starting at verse 18 and going through to verse 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Gavin and I'm on the ministry team here at Camden Valley Anglican, which is my great joy and privilege. And firstly, I want to give my congratulations to all mums today. Uh, It's the toughest and most thankless job in the world, I think, at times. I've been richly blessed to have a wonderful mum. Happy Mother's Day, mum, watching at home, as are my three children, richly blessed to have their mum. I actually got to see my mum in the flesh last week after they lowered restrictions just a little which was terrific. It was great to see her and dad at our home. I'm getting a bit over Zoom chats already as I know most people are if not everyone. So happy Mother's Day to all mums out there. Today we're looking at a tough and uh, often controversial passage of scripture but we're also looking at a wonderfully rich part of scripture too. I for one am am deeply thankful for God's wrath against sin and evil, which are pretty much the same thing as we will see. God's wrath against sin and evil. Sin and evil, pretty much the same thing. Knowing that God's wrath is being revealed helps us to understand with even more clarity and thankfulness just how good the good news of the gospel is, which we heard last week from the first half of Romans 1. In order to understand the gospel of salvation, more fully, you must first understand what it is we're being saved from. And to give us a bit of a recap from last week, via the wonders of modern social networking, I actually have the Apostle Paul on the line via Zoom. Can you hear me, Paul? Yes, yes, I can hear you, Gavin. Oh, fantastic. Great to see you, Paul. Paul, how long have you been in isolation for? Well, as you
2: can see at my eyes, it's been 2,000 years now, but I am with the Lord in spirit and that's certainly wonderful and more than I deserve.
1: So how can I help you? Get that? Well, firstly, thanks for your letter to the Romans, Paul. It is truly encouraging and wonderful. My pleasure. We're, We're studying your first chapter in our church. And in chapter one, Paul, you said that you're not ashamed of the gospel. Absolutely. I'm not
2: ashamed of the Gospel. Well, why not, Paul? Because the Gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Right. Well, how is that so, Paul? Well, because in the Gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, meaning this is, a, is God's way of justifying sinners.
1: Aha. Uh-huh. But why is that necessary, Paul?
2: Well, because the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who who suppress the truth by their
1: wickedness. Right, but I mean, how have people suppressed the truth, Paul?
2: Well, because what may be known about God is plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been clearly seen and understood in creation. As we look around us, we can see and know that God exists And that we owe our existence to him
1: okay okay i think i understand and what i'm hearing you say paul is that firstly god has revealed his glory his eternal power and divine nature in his creation and secondly he's revealed his wrath against the sin of those who deny and ignore and suppress their knowledge of him thirdly he then reveals his righteousness his righteous way of putting sinners right with himself in the great news of the gospel And fourthly, here he feels his power in believers by saving them through the gospel. Well, that's amazing news and nothing to be ashamed about, understandably. Rather, it's something to be glad about, isn't it? Proud of. Something to share with as many people as we can.
2: Exactly right, Gaz. You've got it. (laughs)
1: Um, Anything else I can help you with? Well, not right now, Paul. Many other questions I've got from your letters, but not right now. Thanks so much for your help and bye for now, Paul.
2: All right. Bye,
1: Jeff. Bye, everyone. Enjoy the letter. Wow. The, the wonders of modern technology, hey? Zooming the Apostle Paul. That was super helpful. Um, now we understand the gospel is good news because we have sinned and God's wrath is being revealed against our sin, our wickedness, our evil, and God has offered salvation from his coming wrath for our sin. Right. That helps us to understand the link between the first half of Romans 1 and the second half of Romans 1, which we're going to unpack now. But before we really dive in and dissect the text of Romans 1, 18 to 32, I want to first chat briefly about God's wrath, which is um, said there for us in those first couple of words, the wrath of God is being revealed. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word wrath, I I think it's a bad thing. It seems like an extreme thing perhaps an abusive parent who's flying off the handle at their kids cruelly and unnecessary necessarily but this is not god's wrath god doesn't fly off the handle he isn't emotional in the same way as we are he isn't in any sense out of control of his emotion and action god's wrath is his revulsion at sin his deep abhorrence of evil and his consequential action in opposition to sin and evil. Now, evil's another strong word we don't like, isn't it? I don't like to think about myself as being evil. The Joker from the Batman movies is evil. Satan is certainly evil. I can be a bit mean, but I wouldn't say I'm evil. But a biblical definition of evil is anything and anyone in opposition to God. Any action done contrary to the will of God is evil. Put it that way, and we do evil all the time, don't we? Sin and evil are pretty well synonymous. And the wonderful truth about God is that He is on a 24 7, 365 day a year mission against sin and against evil. Using all the power at His disposal, which is infinite, He opposes evil, and that's a wonderful thing. That's awesome news. I don't like evil. You don't like evil. We don't like evil existing in our world and God is doing something about it and ultimately did something about it at the cross. The hard truth then is looking in the mirror and discovering in our heart of hearts we are evil. God opposes people for their evil, for their wickedness. Praise God for the good news of the gospel that saves us from his righteous wrath against us for our evil through faith in jesus we are saved we have salvation we have rescue from his wrath which is rightly being revealed upon the world god's wrath his right and good anger at sin and evil is being revealed against evildoers, which is all people but we can have salvation from his wrath through faith in jesus how good is that now let's have a look at our text today and dive in if you're following on the outline we're up to um, point two the sin retribution cycle Um, verse one sorry verse 18 the first verse establishes for us a sin retribution cycle that repeats itself three more times throughout the passage firstly people know that god exists because god has made himself known but they suppress the truth They deny God's rule and hence deny his existence. Consequently, there is divine retribution or wrath directed at the evildoer and this cycle is repeated three times throughout the passage as we will see. If you look with me at verse 18, you will see the subject of God's wrath which is godlessness and wickedness and those who commit these things. Godlessness is sin against God, wickedness generally speaking is sin against people. Now what is clear in the Bible is that a day of judgment is coming in the future when all will stand before the Lord Jesus in judgment. But here it is clear that God's judgment is being revealed now from heaven. There is a judgment that is immediate as well as a great judgment at the end, and we see this truth three times. In summary, God's wrath is being revealed on people who sin against God and against one another because God has made it plain to all that he exists and is to be worshipped alone. No one can stand before God on that final day and say they weren't aware of God's existence. Creation itself testifies clearly to the existence of God. That person will be without excuse. Point three, the three cycles in our text. We then have three cycles of sin and retribution in verses 21 to 24, 25 to 27, and 28 to 32. Now, here's an exercise you could do later on, or if you're really good with tech and you've got your device in front of you, you could bring it up with your highlighting tool. I printed out the passage and then I highlighted the three different movements in each of the sections one color for God's existence, another for our rejection or suppression of the truth, and another for his retribution or judgment. It was a really fascinating exercise, which I highly recommend. If you're really handy, you could do it right now on the fly. So verses 21 to 24, there in verse 21 see the knowledge of God is stated again. It says there, that they, although they knew God, they knew God. Now, they don't know God in the way a Christian does through faith in Jesus, that intimate personal relationship, but all people know God well enough that they should acknowledge him as creator and look to him for guidance to faith in Jesus. Futility and folly and darkness guide their steps and lead them to make gods out of created things instead of God himself. Birds, reptiles, animals such as the golden calf. Can I gently suggest we're starting to idolise our pets just a little? Um, Also, if Paul wrote in Romans today... He would include cars and overseas holidays, mobile phones uh, that we tend to idolise, and certainly he would include and does include sex. The Western world in particular has made an immense idol out of sex, and much too much value is placed on our sexual identity rather than our God given holistic humanity as those created in God's image. Our identity as God's people. Made in emo- as people made by God, made in emotional relationship with many people and some people are also in a sexual relationship and should be with one only, maximum, this is who we are. We're made as holistic people, perhaps in a sexual relationship with one person is the way God intended things to be. Yet verse 24, sexual immorality of differing kinds is right there in the first century and certainly in our century. Paul doesn't stipulate in what type of forms he's talking about sexual immorality here, but safe to say that all forms of sexual relationship outside of a marriage between a man and a woman are forbidden by God's law. It says there that people degrade themselves with others sexually and God's retribution is to hand them over to that degrading to learn the lesson the hard way, you might say. Our humanity and identity is degraded and eroded when we sin in this intimate way with our bodies. We sin against God, we sin against another person, and we sin against ourselves, our own bodies made in God's image, when we sin sexually. So God hands them over to that personal damage as punishment. It is clear that God often withholds evil in the world. He holds it back from us personally and from our world. But it's clear that at other times, Christians and non Christians alike are handed over by God to their sinful desires, which always damages them, in the hope that they will turn back to Him. Verses 25 to 27. Again, they know the truth. They know the truth. There it is again, highlight it. But they exchange the truth for a lie. They worship created things. In this case, Paul is more specific about the sin that they are committing. Let me read verses 26 to 27 from the Bible again. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. The Bible again is clear that God hands them over to their sin. This is their judgment upon them. This is the penalty for their error, the consequences and the damage done to them by their sin through these acts. What they are doing is firstly described as shameful lusts or dishonourable or even unclean passions. It's clear that what they are doing is sin. It is against God's will and design for them. Women exchange natural sexual relations for unnatural ones, that is, women had sex with women instead of with their husbands. In the same way, men were inflamed with lust for other men having sex with them rather than wives. What does natural sexual relations mean? It's important to note that these people know God because God has made his existence plain to them. God's plan for sex is explicit right from the start of the Bible. Genesis 2 in the Garden of Eden, one man and one woman married for life is the only circumstance under which God permits sexual relations. One man and one woman married for life. There's no other model for human sexual relationships given by God in the Bible and therefore permitted by God in our lives. One man and one woman married for life is the natural order of things, meaning the God-given order of things. So natural sexual relations is one man, one woman married for life can I say that I truly and deeply sympathise with those people who are genuinely same-sex attracted in our highly sexualised culture today? Our culture teaches that our whole identity is wrapped up in our sex life. And if you are same-sex attracted or opposite-sex attracted, you must pursue a sexual relationship in order to find true meaning and happiness. That is the lie of our culture. Therefore, same-sex attracted Christians who want to obey God's law here are completely disenfranchised. As are homosexual and heterosexual people who just want to stay single. Your identity does not come from your sexuality. Your identity comes from being made in God's image. If you're a follower of Jesus, your identity comes from Christ and your union with God through him. You have been born again, if you're a follower of Jesus, and your life is now hidden with Christ. In him you are a new and wonderful creation. That is your true identity. Isn't that a wonderful blessing and a wonderful truth? Verse 28, again, open to them, not wanting to retain the knowledge of God. They had it, but they choose to discard it. Then comes Paul's catalogue of 21 vices or sins in an order that all commentators agree is a bit random, actually. There are some groupings amongst the list. For example, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice all depict broken relationships. God, haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful all have to do with pride. I'm not actually going to delve into every one of the 21 sins on the list. Um, Now, hands up if you can't find yourself on that list of 21 sins. I can't see any hands up in the room. I don't think there's any hands up at home either. Um, We've all committed at least half a dozen of those sins, I suspect, and probably do uh, on a regular basis, which we're we're not glad about. Now, don't look too closely at the list, lest you see yourself there more than you care to bear and you're miserable right through your lunch with mum today. Paul isn't exaggerating, is he, when he describes human beings as totally depraved and broken and sinful and evil and in desperate need of the saving news of the gospel. If you stop to think about it, we really are quite sinful, quite depraved and broken. So often our solution, I think, is to just not stop to think about it, to just keep ourselves busy doing other things. How's it going, mate? Oh, really busy. How's it going, Sarah? Oh, hi. Oh, yeah, really busy. That's what we say, isn't it? How are you going? Busy. We busy ourselves with busyness. I wonder, if you're a follower of Jesus, how much do you busy yourself with godliness? How much energy and time and preparation and planning do you put into godliness? to avoiding the sins that Paul has catalogued for us here in Romans 1. God gives sinners over to their depraved minds. It it says there, God hands them over to their sinful desires. God gives sinners over to their depraved minds to suffer the consequences of deceiving others and then getting found out. He gives them over to being malicious and then finding out they have no real friends. He gives them over to being greedy and then finding out that contentment really eludes them. God's wrath is being revealed now. God's righteous retribution is is being handed down now as God hands you over in your sin to suffer its consequences. There are consequences now, and there will certainly be consequences in the end. The punishment for all sin, it says in the end, is death. Eternal death and judgment. What a terrible predicament we find ourselves in that not only do we know God exists, but we choose to ignore him, do evil deeds contrary to God's law, and verse 32, encourage others to do the same and approve. And this can be the case even for Christians too, friends. I wonder how often as Christians do you Justify one another's so called small sins by doing it together, by gossiping together, by slandering others together, by maybe getting a little bit drunk together, maybe by stealing together. I've heard too many people are sharing Netflix, Stan, and the like. It's illegal, it's stealing to use someone else's login for your Netflix and Stan but we do it together and then we don't feel so bad about it. If you're not in the same household, then it's stealing. If you're in the same household and haven't paid for more than one user, it's still stealing if you share it in your household. We need to ensure, followers of Jesus, that we are obeying God's will, lest his wrath be revealed against us. If we're not yet a follower of Jesus, can I implore you, Put your trust in Jesus today to avoid God's wrath now and in the end. Three implications to finish. First is be thankful. Thank God that He is wrathful. That sound funny? Hopefully not after this sermon. Thank God that He is wrathful. He does not allow sin and evil, uh, sin to go unpunished and evil to go unchecked. We got a little taste of just how evil we can be as a community a month or so ago when the shop started running out of toilet paper. They still had several hundred tons of food on the shelf, but they started running out of toilet paper, so we started clambering over each other to get it. Fights happened. Security guards were hired. Woolies and Coles staff started fearing for their safety at work for the first time in their lives. We had to create a very inconvenient time slot for the elderly many of whom defended our homes in war so they could get to the shops to get some food and toilet paper in safety. It was horrendous. We were evil. Believe it, friends. In our heart of hearts, we are evil. Praise God that he hates evil and he opposes evildoers. And praise God that he restrains evil even now but he does hand people over to the consequences of their sin and evil as punishment. Praise God that ultimately there is a solution to our evil, to our sinful hearts. He sent Jesus to pay the price for all of the sins of all of the people who would put their trust in him. Be thankful that our God is a God of justice and he does not let even the slightest sin go unpunished. Be thankful that our God is a God of mercy, who has made a way of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, be fearful, lest you fall into the hands of the living God in judgment. Fear God, especially if you have not yet repented of your sin and put your trust in Jesus. His judgment is real. His reward of eternity in heaven is real. His consequence and just punishment of eternity in hell for those who do not repent is also real. Have you repented of your sin and asked God for forgiveness? He's super keen to forgive your sin, but you've got to want it. Disciples of Jesus, fear your Lord. If you sin, there will be consequences. There will be judgment now fear him and obey him. And thirdly and finally, be joyful. As Christians, we do not fear chaos. We do not fret injustice. We know that God is a God of mercy and also wrath. If it's not right in our world, he will sort it out. Some I know are freaking out at the moment At things that are happening in our world. People taking advantage of others in this terrible time. Countries, I won't name names, taking advantage of the rest of the world. Governments making decisions that the person, uh, the onlooker wouldn't make. And so that stresses them out and the list goes on. Well, you know what? I'm not. I'm not freaking out. God is good. God is wrathful. He will sort it all out. We can trust him with the chaos. We can trust him with the injustices. And we can trust him to see us through to the end and into the heavenly realms if our faith is in Christ. Friends, be contented, be joyful. Amen.